Remember last week now, we did the introduction on the book of Exodus, and we said that there were going to be three things were going to happen to them. They were going to have a new life, they were going to get new liberties, and they were going to have that, and they were going to have a new Lord. And, uh, and that's what happens when you get born again, amen? You get a new life, you're going to get some new liberties that you have in Christ, because didn't Jesus say, whom the Son sets free, they are what? They're free indeed. And, uh, and some liberties, and then a new Lord in their lives to guide them, to look after them, to feed them. And that's what was going to be happening to them, because there are just some things that we should remember. Egypt is always a picture of the world. And the world, to love the world, means to be at enmity with God. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to be in love with the world. We want to be moved away from the world. The Lord left us in the world, but he doesn't want us to be of the world while we're here. And so there's a picture in this in the book of Exodus as we go through this. And so tonight I want to look at the departure and the departure of Israel out of bondage, out from underneath Pharaoh, out from Egypt is covered in the first 18 chapters of the book of Exodus. So remember, as we're going through these basics of the Old Testament, we're just skimming a rock. All right. And we're going to divide the book of Exodus into three, into three parts, if you will. There is the departure, then there's going to be the giving of the law, and then there's going to be the tabernacle in the wilderness. And so tonight we want to look at the departure. And let me, let me give you this. Let me start off with this. Winston Churchill is quoted uh, as having said this. He said, when asked about the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. Now, you all know who Winston Churchill is, right? He was the uh, prime minister during the outbreak of World War II back in the 30s. And uh, he took over there for, uh, for England and was instrumental in the defeat of Germany and so forth. Allies with America and then at the time uh, the Soviet Union. <clears throat> and so when he was asked about the deliverance of Israel from Egypt, I guess they were asking him, do you really believe the biblical account of, of what you read here? And he, this is what he said. He said, we reject with scorn all those learned and labored myths that Moses was but a legendary figure. Man, he just was good with words, amen? And I wish that I, had, I could say it with that British accent. It might give it a little more impact. But he said, we reject all those things. We believe that the most scientific view, the most up-to-date and rational conception will find its fullest satisfaction in taking the Bible story literally. Now, here was a man who was highly educated. Here was a man who had to deal with kings and emperors and czars, if you will, and so forth. And here's a man who believed the Bible. And he said, we reject all those things. He said, and then he said, we may be sure that all these happen just as they are set out according to holy writ. He further said, in the words of a forgotten work of Mr. Gladstone, Mr. Gladstone must have been a British citizen of some sort, but he said of the, the, of the words of the forgotten work of Mr. Gladstone, he said, we rest with assurance upon the impregnable rock of Holy Scripture. And that encouraged me about Winston Churchill. Uh, you know, he might have smoked two cigars a day or more, I don't know, but that won't, that won't keep you out of heaven, amen, and that won't send you to hell. Rejecting Jesus Christ, now that'll do it. That'll do the trick. 
But, uh, but my point is here, and I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, using him as an example of, of, of how every Christian ought to be, but it does appear from his quotes when he was asked about these things that he believed what the Bible said about the deliverance of Israel. And certainly we have to agree that what happened to them was miraculous. Wouldn't you? It was miraculous. And I want to say every time somebody gets born again, every time somebody trusts Christ, God erases that debt of sin that they had. That's a miracle. It's a miracle. And when the Lord implants the righteousness of Christ, I mean, I can't, it's, hard for us to, it's hard for us to fathom and comprehend how that Jesus bore the sins of the world in his body. I don't, I, I don't understand how that infusion works. I, I don't get it, but the scripture teaches us that he became sin for us. Who knew no sin? And, uh, and God did that, and yet the same miracle occurred in the moment we got saved and we trusted Christ. What happened? We exchanged our old filthy rags, amen, the best that we could do. We get the righteousness of Christ, and the Holy Spirit came to live on the inside. Beloved, that's a miracle. And what we have pictured here in the departure of Israel out of Egypt is going to be a picture of the new birth in, in, a, in a number of ways, just as much as, if you will, if you recall, it just as much as the way that Joseph typified or pictured the Lord Jesus Christ, here the nation of Israel sort of, sort of resembles in some ways by what happens to them, what happens to the believing sinner when they come out of the world and become a child of God. He was going to be their God. Remember, new life, new liberty, and a new Lord. And this is what we're going to see. So, so I want you to see in chapters 1 through 4, this was something... This departure was planned through Moses. God had a man that he was going to utilize in their deliverance, and that man was Moses. And we know that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Amen? And, uh, and we find that Moses is going to kind of be that federal head for them, and he is given a message from God. Look in chapter 3 with me. Look in chapter 3. And this is where Moses is going to be, if you will, he's going to be called. And he's, uh, he's already left out of Egypt. By, uh, correction, he's already left out of Pharaoh's house at that time. And he has gone to the, uh, he's gone out there into the wilderness. He's been 40 years as Pharaoh's son. Now he's going to be starting about 40 years in the wilderness. Could you just imagine? Here was a guy that was accustomed to, I mean, being around the finer things, if you suppose, you know, I mean, all the finest things that the house of Pharaoh would afford, fine garments and everything. And how, how, did, how did Egyptians feel about shepherds and sheep? Do you recall? Oh, they, sister, you're holding your nose. They, they smelled, didn't they? they? They were an abomination. And so, you know, he doesn't know anything about herding sheep. He doesn't know one thing about that. Can you imagine here seeing the prince of Egypt, if you will? And here he is. All, all, all right, you know, can't get it. He's got, what do they give? I got this stick. What do I do with this? You know, all this was going to be new for him. And uh, here he is out there. And while he's there, God is going to deal with. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. So, I mean, here he's gone from a very popular place to the backside of the desert. Man, I mean, 
it's even more barren than West Texas, you know? West Texas can be pretty rough, can it not? And there he is, and he gets out there, and, uh, and he's going to see something. And notice what it says. Look in verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. That's a, that's a great question, so to speak. He's having this thought. I've never seen anything like that before. When I've made fires out here, I didn't have the fires like I had back at the palace. I'm out here, I'm out here in the desert on the backside of somewhere, and we make a fire here, and we burn up the wood, and it, 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 it goes to ash. Well, here's a tree and it's on fire and it's not being burned up. You know what it's a picture of? It's a picture, it could be a picture of, of, of a nation that's under the great fires of persecution and, uh, and if you will, and the times and so forth, and yet it is not consumed. Why? Because God is in the midst of them. It's a picture of the nation of Israel. They were under hard bondage under Pharaoh. They were, I mean, they were having it tough, remember? They're, they're about to have, and it's going to, you know, it's like, cheer up, it's going to get worse, because it's going to get worse. They're going to have to make, they're going to have to continue their tally of brick and mortar and so forth, but without the straw, now they've got to do these things. There's a lot more on the horizon for them. But it's a picture, it's a picture that whatever God is with, he can sustain it in spite of, of the pressures, in spite of the fires, in spite of the storms, in spite of the difficulties that are that they may encounter. It's also a picture of an individual who, uh, you know, who God is going to be with. And uh, and did he, did he not say to us, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee? And regardless of the fires, and you know what, as we read this many thousands of years ago, some 4,000 years ago, it's amazing to me that, you know, that Israel is still here. That's a testimony to the promise of God, the faithfulness of God. No matter how you try to wipe them out, they just keep on going. Amen. They're still here. If you want to see, if you want to, if you want to keep up with prophecy, keep your eye on Israel and uh, the apple of God's eye. So Moses is given this message. He'd been a prince in Egypt and now he's going to become the prophet of God. That's a big change for him. That's going to be a big change. And he has a rod, all right? <clears throat> and, and, notice, and notice what happened. Look in chapter 4. And, uh, and he, the Lord's already telling him, all right, I want you to go for me and, and speak for me. And, uh, and, and, and he said, man, when, when I get out there, who am I going to tell him has sent me? And he's going to say, you tell him that I am. Remember, I am that word Jehovah. He hadn't used that word before, that self-existent one. You tell him that I am sent you. In other words, the one that, that, that we see in that is that his, his uh, I, I'm not trying to coin a word here, but what we see is we see his, his eternal existence. You know the word am, here's one of those grammar things again. That's one of those, that's one of those, uh, I don't know the name of them. I just know it's am, is, are, was, were, be, be, and been. You know, they, the kids kind of make a, a person out of that. His first name is Amazar, and his last name is B.B. Ben or something like that. Anyway, that's how they remember them. But those are those are all state of being verbs, right? Did I get that right, English teacher? Okay, thank you. All right. State of being. And so am is like present tense. It's like, like now. And he said, it's not I was. And it's not I will be. It's I am right now with them. 
They were that was the new Lord that they were going to enjoy, that he's with us. And beloved, he's with us when? Right now. Right now when I have to have him. Right now. And, uh, and you know, Moses has got all these things. Man, I don't know if I can do this, and I don't know if I can do that. And who's going to listen to me and everything? I mean, you know, he's kind of being little in his own sight, and the Lord's, and the Lord's going to tell him, all right, man, I'll get Aaron, and I'll talk to you, and you're going to talk to Aaron. Aaron's going to talk to the people and all these kind of things. And so chapter 4, Moses answered and said, look at verse 1, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said to him, what is that in thine hand? And he said, a rod. He didn't say a stick. He didn't say, you know, he didn't say this was something that was carved for me. I brought this with me out of Egypt and it's a prized possession. It's just a rod. It, in other words, it's a lot like me. It's nothing. And, and, and what did the Lord tell him to do? He said, uh, he said, cast it on the ground. And when he did, what happened? Man, it became a serpent. And, and then the Lord tells him, and the Lord said, look at verse 4, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from before it. Look at verse 4. And then the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. I mean, the Lord was good about that. Don't take it, try to grab it by the head. Amen. Grab it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. Why? That they, look at verse 5, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. And so what, what can we take from this? Listen, beloved, it's just like Saul. Remember, he was doing well when he was little in his own sight. And it's when we humble ourselves and we admit, Lord, really without you, what did Jesus say? Without me, you can do nothing. But with him, what did Paul say? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Boy, that's one of those beautiful verses. It's got the balance on it. Like that passage in the book of Psalms that says, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. There's the balance on that verse. And so here, and so here Moses, he sees this rod and he uses this. And really, the serpent is a picture of whom? That's the devil, right? It's a picture of him. And what is it, what is it saying? It's saying that God has got the power over the devil, if you'll trust me. If you'll remain little in my sight, little in your own sight, that I can do these things. And then there's one more thing that he does with him. And look, look, in verse, look in verse 6. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, put now thine hand into thy bosom. So here he is in his robe. Put this in here. And, uh, and he put his hand in on his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow in an instant. Man, he put his hand in here and he pulls it back out and ah! He's got this disease for which there is no known cure. I've been to, I have visited a leper colony in India. And man, they don't have noses and ears and some fingers and so forth. And leprosy it is the, uh, it's, the, it's just the destruction of the flesh and the bone and all these things. And there is no natural cure for it. No, no cure for leprosy. 
And uh, that's why these colonies still exist. And they, these couples, they have children. The children contract the leprosy. And they get it, even though they grow up in the leper colony and all these things. And leprosy in the Bible, beloved, is a picture of sin, of which there is no known cure for sin but the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what does he do? He, just as he cast down that rod and picked it up again, though it was a serpent, having control, it became a rod again, showing Moses that God had power over the devil. He wants Moses to know that I also have power to deal with sin. So he put his hand in here. He pulls it out. It's snow white. He tells him, put it back inside. And he pulls it out, and it had turned again, just like the other flesh. And it was healed. It was healed. And so, beloved, he's wanting Moses to know, man, that you are equipped and you can do this. And so he is given a mission there in chapter 4 in verses 18 through 31. We're not going to read all those. But he was given a mission to go to Pharaoh and so forth. And he had been commissioned now. If you look back in chapter 2 just for a moment... Chapter 2, look with me in verse 11. Look what happens. And it came to pass. I'm in chapter 2 of Exodus, verse 11. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren, the Hebrews, and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren. Look at verse 12. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. You know what? When you go out on your own and you haven't been commissioned, you're not going to have that authority. And so what do you do? You've got to look this way and you've got to look that way. You've got to make sure that the coast is clear. But when God gave him that, when God commissioned him to go before Pharaoh, Moses didn't have to do that. He wasn't looking this way and that way. Why? The Lord had authorized him. The Lord had empowered him. The Lord was equipping him. And he goes into Pharaoh and says, hey, I need you to let my people go. Let my people go. And that's what happens. And so this is planned through Moses. <clears throat> Pardon me. But I want you to see, of course, it's going to be opposed by Pharaoh. Pharaoh is against this. Man, these are my workers. I've had these people. They're in bondage to me and so forth. And so now Pharaoh wants to keep the upper hand that he has. And so in chapters 5 through 11, we're going to see how, how this takes place. And so, so I want you to see this. Pharaoh is going to be given seven commands. Seven different times, Moses is going to go to him, and seven different times, Pharaoh is going to say no. And you know, it's like, it's like a picture here in this, in that God goes to great lengths to deal with, with Pharaoh's heart. And, uh, and, so, and, because, and because Israel was in such bondage, it's the reason for all the commands. Because they just weren't going to get out of this easily. God wanted them to be free that they might serve him. And so Pharaoh gives seven refusals. But what I want you to see is, yes, it's true. He gave seven refusals and God's going to give him ten different responses to those refusals. Ten different responses. And those are going to be, those are going to be in, in Exodus chapter 9 where they start. God's going to show him. Look at chapter 9 with me. And look in verse 13. Chapter 9, verse 13. And I'm hoping, I hope as we go through this, that you'll read the book of Exodus. And these, as we sort of dip down and, and skim the surface, that you'll be able to put the pieces together that are in between. But here in chapter 9, look at verse 13. Look what the Lord said. And the Lord said unto Moses, 
Rise up early in the morning, stand before Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of, of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart, and upon thine servants, and upon thy people, that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. And there is none like him, amen. There's none beside him. There's none to be compared unto him. And Pharaoh's like, well, who is the Lord that I should, that I should obey his voice? And who is he that should tell me what to do with these slaves? You know, and 10 plagues later, he gets to find out, amen, in very vivid terms as to who the Lord was. And so in one of those, in chapter 7, in verse 6, the waters turned to blood. And the purpose here was, you remember, some of these, some of these plagues and all, they were duplicated by the magicians. When you read in the book of 1 Timothy, I believe it is, it says, As Janus and Jambres withstood. Those are the names of the magicians that were back here in Egypt. And Paul uses their names when he's writing that book. And, uh, and so what happens here, the Lord announces this is what's going to take place. And the water's going to be turned to blood. And guess what it does? It is turned to blood. Can you imagine I'm thinking about East Texas, all the water we got over there, the Lake Conroe, Lake Livingston, Lake Houston. Uh, who? Oh, Sam Rayburn. I forgot about that. Sam Rayburn, the East Fork of the San Jacinto, the West Fork of the San Jacinto. Lake Conroe is there, going all the way down to Galveston. Could you imagine what that was? All that was turned to blood. How that would smell, the smell of iron in the air. You know, if you've ever smelled, if you've ever been around where blood has been, you probably haven't, but as a medic, you see a lot of that. There's a smell to it. It has the smell of iron in the air. And can you imagine things will be dying and their fish can't live? I mean, putrefying. And what the Lord was trying to show them, that your gods aren't anything. That I have power over them. I have power over all these things. And that's the beauty of our, of our new birth, the new life that we have. God has the power to sever us from the dominance of sin in all its shapes and forms and sizes. He has that. So, uh, so we see that the water was turned to blood. Man, then in chapter 8, they get frogs. All that stuff comes out of there and so forth and, and the different things that happen. So there's frogs and lice and flies. There's murane. There's a disease that gets on the cattle. But the interesting thing is it only gets on the cattle of Egypt and not on the cattle that belong to the children of Israel. What? Hey, when it got dark, it was only dark over there, but there was light where the children of Israel were to show that there was a difference. And there is a difference between us and them. Amen. <laughs> we have a table at which we can eat, Hebrews says, that's different from what they have. And, uh, and so, as I said this morning, what I quoted from uh, Adrian, there's only, the, there's only the saints and the ain'ts. Amen. That's all there is. And you're either one or the other. And God has set up a difference in those things. And he wanted not only Israel to see that, but he wanted Pharaoh to see that as well. So then there's boils. And this is, there's no warning about the boils. There's no warning about the lice. Then there's hail mixed with fire. And then locusts. Three days of darkness and no warning. And Moses is threatened when that happens. You come before me again, and it'll be your last time because you're going to die. And with that, Pharaoh sentences his own self with those words. And so it becomes the death of the firstborn. That's in chapters 11 and 12. And so Pharaoh opposes these things. 
And you know, and think about it. You know what? Before a person gets saved, do you know what the devil works so hard when God begins to convict them? Do you, you think, can you think back to where you were before the Lord saved you? The different things that were happening. God's trying to head you up and show you the way. And this is the way. And man, then, you know, the Bible talks about sin be, becoming exceedingly sinful. And, uh, and the darkness, if you will, becoming even darker about our lives. And it's like, it's like, the, it's like the, the enemy and our enemy, the world and sin and the devil and self is all doing everything that it can to hinder us from being able to get to church. I, you know, and come to the house of God and hear the word preached. I remember that night, you know, I was there in bed reading Debbie's Bible. And I said, how do you get your name in that book? And I determined, well, we're going to go to church. You should have seen what we were like trying to get to church in the morning. Man, we couldn't find the kids' shoes. There was all kinds of stuff going on. It was still pretty cold outside and different things were happening. And man, I mean, all kinds of things all intended to discourage us. Why? To keep us from hearing the word of God. And, uh, and man, I, I mean, even this morning, how, how many of you all saw we had a visitor on the outside of the building this morning? Mm -hmm. Did you notice it? Yes, ma'am. Walk right by there, right as we were approaching time of invitation. And I didn't say anything about it because I didn't want anybody distracted. They were listening to the word being preached. That's just the enemy. I mean, not that young man that came by there. He doesn't know what's going on. But I'm telling you, the devil will do it. Listen, he'll pinch a baby in the nursery and make it where mom's got to come out of the service. So she's got to go into the nursery so she doesn't get to hear the word of God. I mean, the devil, you say, oh, brother Ed, you're just being superstitious. No, I'm not. I'm being truthful. It's a spiritual battle that we are in. And when we're preaching, man, there's the, there's the angels of light and there's the angels of darkness that are in that unseen world. And they're at work. They're fine. Do you remember when Daniel had been praying, Lord, I know that 70 years are determined upon thy people. What's our future? There he is in Babylon and so forth. And old Nebuchadnezzar got him out of, Egypt, out of, out of uh, Palestine, out of the region of Judea and so forth. Do you remember? And he gets him over there and Daniel prays. And all of a sudden, man, Gabriel comes to him. And Gabriel says, listen, man, we heard you a long time ago, but it's taken me 21 days to get here. Why? The king of Tyre, and he said, Michael had to come out here and do battle with him. Michael, the archangel. Why? They didn't want that answer to get to, they didn't want that answer to get to Daniel, to give him hope, to tell him what was going to happen with the nation of Israel. And those, those angels were battling in that unseen world. And that's why, you know, when you talk to people, you talk to people and you invite them to the house of God and so Oh, I'm coming. I'm going to be there. Yes. And, and they're listening to what you're saying. Seems like they're listening on every word. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when you're fishing, you know, just because you get a little bump doesn't mean that I'm going to jerk it out of the, out of the water. Right. Uh, you know, you just leave a hole in the water. Don't you brother Ed, when you do that, uh, when you pull too soon or whatever, you, you can't get them like that. You don't want to foul hook them. You want, you want them to really be on there. And, and so it's the same way. You just can't do that. And so, so when that's happening, and you can tell when that's happening, when you're dealing with a soul, if you've been soul winning at all, if you've been fishing for men, you can tell when that's going on. You'd be surprised. I've been at home, man, all of a sudden the phone rings, the dog starts barking, throwing up, having a problem. Here comes a neighbor over there. All, and why? Why? We're, we're getting down to business. And that's what's happening here. And what, and what the Lord is showing us through this is I've got power over all these things. Whatever the magicians can come up with to refute what I'm doing, I am the Lord and I'm going to fix that. And all the while, Pharaoh is hardening his heart. 
against these things, stiffening his neck, if you will, against these things. And so we know ultimately, guess what? It's, it is, it's planned through Moses. It's opposed by Pharaoh. But thank God it's completed by Jehovah. Look at chapter 12 with me. Look at chapter 12. I'm just giving you all this background because we're going to get to some principles here. But I want you to see this, and this is what's happened. And, and we know Passover here is then instituted. And so look in verse 13 with me of chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12 in verse 13. And like I said again, I'm not superstitious about those things, but I do believe there is a real spirit world and I believe that some of the things that we say and do in this world, the world that we can see has an impact on that other world and vice versa, particularly when it comes to the winning of souls, when you're dealing with people about those things. Because when that person says they probably have all good intentions, yes, I'm going to come to the house of God, I'm very interested, yes, boy, you've spoken to my heart or whatever. And then guess what? I mean, all kinds of stuff, man. The washing machine tears up. They have a fight with their wife or their husband. The kids get sick. And then, you know, the job calls them. Hey, I need you to come in. And all of a sudden there's all kinds of things that are all intended to distract them, to discourage them from following through. And then, and that doesn't even count that old nature on the inside said, man, you better not go. I mean, we don't know if they handle snakes down there at that church. I mean, we don't know what they do. You better not go, man. You might, you might be ashamed. You might be embarrassed. I mean, what if you go there and he's not there, the one that invited you? What are you going to do? I mean, there's all kinds of things run through people's minds. I, I remember when I told Debbie, she came to me, I've been a terrible wife and mother. Would you forgive me? And I said, hey, it's all that junk you're getting at the church making you crazy. That's what I said. I'm not proud of that, but that's what I said. And what did the Lord Jesus say? It's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaketh. That's all I knew about that stuff. I certainly didn't know him at the time. But boy, I, I'm glad he was long-suffering. Amen. Patient and loving. Had mercy on me. Man, thank you, Lord. I'm so grateful for that. But look here, the Passover, it completed by Jehovah, the Passover is instituted. Look with me, look with me in verse 13. Notice what he says. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where, we, that's where that song comes from that we sing here sometimes. <clears throat> you know, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. And, and this is where it comes from. This is where it comes from. Oh, what compassion, the songwriter said. And, uh, and that's what he had. Uh, and the plague, what? And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And according to verse 1, this is now going to be the beginning of life. This was the new life that I spoke about last week. Look at chapter 12, look at verse 1. The Lord spake unto Moses Aaron in the land of Egypt. They're still in there. This month shall be unto you unto the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. And so it is the first step of real life. That lamb is to be chosen and tested. He's supposed to be observed over four days so you can be certain that he is without spot or blemish. He's not ill. Now, this is interesting. What are those little things about numbers? We know that three is the number of Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three is also how we are. We are a tribe uh, being as well. We have, we have spirit, soul, and body, right? And, uh, and so three is the number of deity. 
And so when you and so when Jesus and so the number four is earthly. The number four, there are four seasons in a year, right? Spring, summer, winter, fall. And then there are four compass points, right? North, south, east, west. And, uh, and so the number four has to do with the earth. And so when Christ was manifest in the flesh, you have three and four. To add them together, that makes seven, the number of perfection. And that's him. And so this lamb had to be watched for four days. A picture of the flesh, if you will, to make sure that he was whole and that he was without a blemish. That's what God demanded. What did he demand? He demanded perfection. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't have a sore-eyed sheep and pass that off as a sacrifice. He couldn't have one leg shorter than the other. You know, he, he couldn't have a floppy ear and an ear that stood up or whatever. I don't know much about sheep, how they're supposed to look. I've got friends that show them in 4-H and they all look really good and all that kind of stuff. But I just know that God's lamb had to be perfect if they were going to offer it. And so the blood is applied to the lintel and doorposts. The lintel would be the header, what we would call the header of the door and the doorposts, part of the frame. And even in 1 Corinthians 5, it says this, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. He became the Passover lamb. And so Israel finds peace with God through the blood of the lamb and so did we that's how we found peace man without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sin and so we need that blood that's why we sing about it we talk about it we like to aggravate the devil with it amen why because he can't stand the blood i've talked to some people about that what do you think about the blood they go Ugh. i mean they have some real issues with it they have some spiritual problems that go beyond this life i'm just saying this and you know what they were not partially saved. They were, uh, they, they were not partly saved or partly exposed to the judgment. They were wholly, completely saved. Everybody that was in that house under that blood was secure. Just as much as everybody in the ark when the judgment came, they were safe and secure. And, and the Lord did that. And so they were wholly delivered from the power of Pharaoh. And, uh, and so that's what Hebrews talks about in chapter 2, that the Lord Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, which is what he did. And, uh, and we see that. And so, man, this is completed by Jehovah. So what do we have? We have this plan through Moses, and then we have it opposed by Pharaoh, but Jehovah is going to complete this deliverance for Israel, and, and it's, it, it is about, it's, it's about what takes place. And so how were they delivered? They were delivered by blood, which is just the same way that you and I are. We're washed in the blood of the Lamb. We sing that song. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? I suppose to the stranger or whatever, that sounds like what in the world are they singing about? I mean, this sounds bloody. This sounds, you know, and it is. It is a slaughterhouse religion. And I hate to use the word religion. I don't like that word. I know it's in the Bible, but that's something man-made. I'm just telling you, this is something that God ordained, and it is a slaughterhouse without the shedding of blood. That's why the Lord Jesus just didn't pass out. He didn't swoon. He didn't faint. He shed his blood. And we change that in our songbook, don't we, brother? We don't say where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. No, it was shed. Spilt means that anybody could have taken it, but that didn't happen. The Lord Jesus laid his life down, and he picked it up again. Amen. His blood was shed, and he did it willfully. He did it willfully. 
And so they were delivered by blood. And then we know when Pharaoh's army comes out against them, what happens? Man, they're backed up there. Can you, can you just envision that? Man, there it looks, like, it looks like Israel has come to the dead end of their life. I mean, they can't go back the way that they came. Why? That's Pharaoh's army right there. They can't move forward because they're up against the ocean right here. They're up against the Red Sea. They can't go to the right or the left. I mean, there's just no way out, man. It just looks like, gosh, all this has been for naught. We're not, we're not going to make it. We're not. And boom. And we know the waters in the Red Sea, they were parted. And you said, do you really believe that? I absolutely do. Amen. I do. And they didn't have one muddy sandal. They didn't have, they didn't have dirt, you know, mud between their toes, Victoria. They didn't have that. They didn't make mud pies out there. They went over on dry land, the Bible says. I love it. They're delivered by blood, and they're also delivered by power. Look in chapter 14 with me. And look in verse 22. And that's exactly how we got saved. Delivered by the blood of the Lamb and delivered by power through the Holy Spirit that resurrected Christ to where sin does not have dominion over us. You and I don't have to answer and listen to the claims of our flesh anymore. Just as much as they weren't going to have to listen to the voice of Pharaoh anymore. Why? He's going to be taken care of. Look at chapter 14. I asked you to go to verse 22. Look with me. Notice what it says. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea. Oh, there it is. I wasn't lying to you. Look what it says. The children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground. And the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand, on their left. You know, I know Cecil B. DeMille made the movie The Ten Commandments. And I remember that being, uh, 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 you know, but I just can't imagine, you know, what that must have been like. How much water must have been there. You know, when I, I had this opportunity, I went to I went to Doha and Qatar, and I flew over that area right there, the Sea of Aqaba, where the Red Sea is and all, and I got to look down on it. It's a lot of water. And can you imagine how high that must have been stacked up? Man, I mean, it's just amazing. On the right hand, on the left, look, and the Egyptians pursued <laughs> and went in after them in the midst of the sea, even all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watch, that would be that morning watch. The last hour, the Lord looked onto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. How did he do that? Notice what it says. And he took off their chariot. <laughs> you know why the Lord did that? I mean, it's hard to get a chariot when, you know, chariot can't go when there ain't no roll, <laughs> you know? It, you know, they, those must have been some Ford chariots. Amen. That's what they were, I bet you. And the wheels came off, brother. And, uh, and I know they weren't rams, amen. And the wheels came off. That way they weren't going to escape, Brother Julio. They weren't going to be able to get out of there. He let the wheels, he knocked the wheels off of those things. And he took off their chariot wheels that they drained them heavily. They still tried to drive out of there. So that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel. For the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. And beloved... This is something that, you know, I, I read these things and I do get excited about them because I, I'm just, I'm just, I just believe what God said and that encourages me. You know what he said? You know, our, our Lord, he is, he is a man of war. Did you know that? He is. And he has the power to help us and we just don't need to live beneath our privileges. 
The same power that we see here exhibited, we have within us. The kingdom of God is within us. And the kingdom of God is not in words, but it is in power. And we have the power of God living on the inside through the person of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing to me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, and the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came to the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. Beloved, they weren't partially delivered. They weren't almost delivered. They were completely delivered. And you and I, we have to mix faith with what we hear. If the, if the word preached, even as you read it, you and I must mix faith with what we read. Why? Because we have been delivered. We have been delivered. So what do we take away? There's some principles that are here. What do we take away? I've got just about four minutes. Let me give you principle number one. When they were wanting to leave, it's in, it's in Exodus chapter 8 in verse 25 through 28. It's when Moses first came to them and, uh, and Moses came to him and said, listen, we need to go into the wilderness. We need to go out here three days journey and we need to worship God. We want to be able to serve God. And you, and, you, and you know what Pharaoh said to him? He said, it's okay to go, but just don't go too far. And that's just how the world is, beloved. Don't, don't become a fanatic. I mean, don't become a person. I mean, you're going to come to church three times a week. You're going to go twice on Sunday, and then you're going to show up. You go, well, why are you doing all that? Gosh, are you one of those? Are, are you one of them holy rollers? I remember I had some kinfolk one time came to a church I was pastoring in Mississippi, and uh, and one of my kinfolk went went you know went over to the, the freezer and opened the freezer door and looked in there and said, looked at me and said, I want to see how faith is doing. Yeah. Had some kinfolk got up in the pulpit where I was showing them the church and got up in the pulpit and they started acting out and being all. The world looks at us and uh, they think that we are fanatics. Yeah. But, you, but you know, if you take that first word, the first part of that, fan, what's a fan? I've watched people at ball games and man just about come unglued when their favorite person gets a hit or or if somebody catches the ball. We call them fans. We, we don't think they're fanatics. They would come to a service like this and sit out there just like Kalijah, the wooden Indian. They wouldn't grunt. They wouldn't say amen. They wouldn't, they wouldn't say boo. They wouldn't do anything. Why? Because the foolish, because preaching to them is foolish. And the world says to us, don't go too far. I've had kinfolk say that, you know, you're not human. Because I wouldn't marry someone that they wanted me to marry. And I said, I can't. I said, the Lord won't let me do that. And my family said, you're not human. Now, listen. I'm not telling you that to feel sorry for me. Man, I, I guess I am a fanatic. I'm a fan of his. Amen. Yes. I am. 
And I hope that you are down deep inside in your heart of hearts. Don't let anybody try to be a wet blanket. I've had people say, well, you know, I felt that same way. You'll get over that. Just give it a little time. I remember when I was like that. Good night. What's happened? We ought not ever to lose that emotional side, that, that emotional connection with what happened on the day that God saved us in his mercy. We just ought not to. Compromise number two. Look at chapter 10. Moses, and there, and there are some plagues that happens here. Chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. You can look them up later. Basically what this says, they want to go out there and we're going to take our kids with us. Uh, Pharaoh says, oh, you want to go? Okay, okay, you can go, but who's going to go with you? And they said, well, man, we're going to take our wives and our daughters on. And he goes, well, all right, but man, you know, there's evil out there. What he was saying was, don't, don't, don't do that to your wives and children. Don't, don't do that to them. Don't try to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Well, you want to let them make their own choices. You know, uh, you, you don't want to have any influence like that upon them. And uh, so don't bring your children to Sunday school. Don't bring them to the house of God three times. Or don't do, why would you do that? You might, you might damage their psyche if you, if you bring them up with biblical truth. If you, listen, we've got, listen, there's probably people in your family. I know there's some in mine that have felt that way. Don't, don't do that. Don't do this to your wives and children. But a man that loves God and loves his family, he wants to lead them to the house of God. He wants to lead them into things of God. We're to train. Listen, brethren, we're going to be held accountable for what we've taught in our homes. Whether we raised our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Don't go too far. Don't do this to your children. Some people would say, man, if you taught them the Bible, they would say that's child abuse, that you're indoctrinating them. So, somebody accused Brother Roloff of that one time, said you're brainwashing those men that come down there to your home down there in Corpus Christi. And he said, I absolutely am. I agree with you. He said they got dirty minds and they need to be washed. Amen. Don't go too far. Don't do this to your wives and children. The last one is in Exodus chapter 10, verses 24 through 26. And what this one says, he said, man, we're going, he said, all right, go ahead. Take your wives, your little ones, your children. Do all those things, but leave your cattle behind here. Leave all your flocks and everything here with me. And here's the compromise. Don't take your businesses and finances with you. Don't, no, don't let God be in the middle of your business. Leave those here with me in the world. What that means is don't honor the Lord with the fruit, first fruits of your increase. That means don't tithe, don't give to missions, don't do anything with that. Leave all that here with me because I can't be trusted, because God can't be trusted. You better leave all those things with me. That's what Pharaoh said. You better leave all those things with me. We don't know what's going to happen to you out there. And so the Lord uh, is trying to get us to see something here. Man, we can trust him with ourselves. We can trust him with our wives and kids, and we can trust him with our finances. Amen. 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 Yes, we can. But the world always wants a compromise on those things. It says, man, if you were to give, you're, you're not going to have anything. Listen, I, I, there's a balance on these things, but tithing is very biblical. And you say, man, that's Old Testament. It sure is. It's even older than the law. 
you want to look it up, amen. Abraham paid tithes in Melchizedek and, and so forth. That was before the law ever came. So it has nothing to do with the law. It's just bringing what belongs to God. The principles even in the book of Joshua. Remember when they get out there and they go to the walls of Jericho and what did the Lord say? This town's going to fall, but I want you to bring everything, all of that to the storehouse. It represented the first fruits of what they were going to have. And there was a fellow in there. Do you remember his name? Oh, my aching back. That's where that came from. Amen. Achan in the valley of Achor. He said, I saw, I coveted, and I hid. Aren't you glad we're in the dispensation of grace? Amen. Just don't be a compromiser. Don't do that. Don't worry about going too far. Don't worry about bringing your wife and your children into these things, your grandchildren. And don't worry about your business. Put those things in the hand of God. Honor the Lord and he will take care of that. That's what we're practicing here at this church. We want God to give us wisdom. We want to honor him with these things. And we want to do this carefully and biblically and scripturally. And we want to be a part. Man, that's why we're investing in souls and lives and men that are going that way and bringing others with them. And we want to be a part of that. Man. What a blessing and privilege it is. We just don't need to listen to the world. And people say, well, you know, maybe maybe you've talked to somebody that's out outside. I, I remember going to the tax lady and she would say, she would look and we would give her our taxes. You know, it's that, it's that wonderful time of year again. Amen. And we would go, we would go to this lady in Cleveland again. And she'd say, you know, how, how, how are y'all doing this? You're, you know, you well, what, what are you living on? She's a lost lady. What are you living on? How? How do you do this? You, you and Brother Hootsie doing the same thing. You and Pastor Hootsie doing the same. You know, we're not giving the same amount of money, but I mean, we go to the same tax person and she didn't mind sometimes talking about some of those things that she shouldn't have. But my point is, is the world just doesn't understand. I'm just trying to do some heavenly banking. Amen. Some spiritual banking. And God knows what he's doing. And you can trust him. Amen. You can trust him. Boy, I'm glad this deliverance, it was full and complete. And so is ours. So is ours. What a blessing to be a child of God. How, what a blessing to be saved tonight. And know the same God that was watching over them, watches over Israel, neither slumbers or sleeps. I'm included in that. Amen. He's watching over us. What a blessing tonight. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the, for the mighty hand, the strong hand of our Lord, that he manifested himself in the life of Israel, Lord, as they were being delivered out of hard bondage to the world that then was and to the devil of that day. And Lord, we thank you for our salvation, that it is complete in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for our redemption. Thank you for our inheritance, Lord. And thank you for living inside of us to give us power to overcome the draw and pull of this world. Father, we love you and we need you. And Lord, we just thank you for your goodness to us. Show us how to walk with you, Lord, and how to trust you more in these days. And, and we don't know what's on the horizon. It, it never seems to look good. But Lord, we know that you are good and our eyes are fixed upon thee. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll bless our people this week. May you have your way with them. Encourage them. Strengthen them, Lord. We pray for those that are in need of healing, Father. We just ask again 
that your will would be done in these matters and give grace, Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.